So over the last several weeks, we've been growing in an awareness of what a serious issue identity theft is. And we've given many examples. I gave one some weeks ago of uh, my wife's credit card uh, numbers being stolen and a new identity had been formed and money had been spent. It was a a fiasco at our house, caused a, a lot of stress and misunderstanding and Thankfully, it all got worked out and identity restored. And, and what a great joy it is to know that identity can be restored, especially when uh, at risk is, is more than just financial liability and, and things of that sort. When we're talking about the spiritual realm of identity theft and all that is on the line for us is God's called people. And when the evil one would seek to attack and tear us apart and tear us down and pull us away from that true identity that God has called us to be, A lot is on the line in this one. We've spent some time seeing how we can be pickpocketed by the past and the guilt and the shame of maybe decisions that we made years ago or maybe things done to us can rob us of joy and identity in the present in Jesus. We've we've looked at how we can be um, hacked by hypocrisy and just go simply through the motions of our faith when really in the reality we're really just going through the motions. And God has called us down to the heart and the mind and the soul uh, to truly be real in his presence as a God who has called us as his own. We've looked to it last week at how easy it is to be mugged by the mirror and to get so caught up in appearances and trying to keep up with how we look with everyone else and judge our, our worth and our value based on our appearance. It's easy to be really truly a victim of identity theft in this world. Today, though, we want to dwell a little more on another direction of of identity theft when it comes to spiritual things, and that is uh, to be stolen by success. Uh, How many of you have ever played the game of Monopoly? Thought that might be the case. I I do remember it very, very clearly. When I was a kid, I was at my cousin's house, uh, the Hexel household, and and there they had an old Monopoly game, and it had some of the, the original pieces way back when, and some of it was even made out of wood, which is really cool because now it's all plastic and stuff. But I remember um, playing this game, and I loved it as a kid. And then I, uh, we, I found out we had it at our house, too, and it was up in the closet, and I got it down. And, and I started loving the game because it had all this money, right? And, and as a kid, it's like, I'm rich. I got all this money. And I used to collect it and, and keep it outside of the board game, I would actually sneak in, open it up, and I'd keep it in my room. I'd bring it to school, and my other friends did it too. They're like, hey, I'll give you 100 bucks for that piece of candy, and, and no, 500 bucks, and, and we'd be haggling out on the playground, and, and there's just something cool about having all this money, you know, and we, at an early age, uh, had a, a desire for more of it, right? And, and, and then as I started playing the game, and learning because we couldn't read, so we didn't know how to play, and we started making up rules as we went, and we, we thought, you know, the goal is, of course, to have as much cash as you can get, and, and then I started playing with adults, and I realized that as they played with me, when they would land, say, on a, a property, they would hand over cash to buy it, and at first that made no sense to me because I'm thinking, well, don't you want to keep all the money you can keep, and rather than just handing over money, But as the game went on, I started to realize that if you didn't have property, you were going to run out of money. As they started to build houses and build hotels and and the rent would go up and and there was kind of this, ah, that's how it works. 
And then I realized when you start that game, the money you're given at the beginning, spend as much of it as quickly as you can to acquire as much as you can because it's going to pay off later in the game. Those that risk it all usually get a big payout at the end when everyone else starts running out of money because you've landed and and purchased hotels on on Marvin's Gardens and Park Place and Boardwalk. You're going to win the game every time. And then you start to realize that often is the goal in life for a lot of people, isn't it? Where we start to think the goal is in life is to be as successful as we can be, to gain as much property as we possibly can and possessions and to have as much money as we possibly can because that, after all, is the mark of true success. And somebody is saying, oh, pastor, you know better than that. Well, do we? I mean, really, do we know better than that? God reminds us of a lot of things when it has to do with success. Uh, and, and something I, I just want to just kind of put little two uh, little hooks to help us remember where I'm going today. And they're simply this. I'm convinced that our identity is stolen by success because of really two things. One of them is performance confusion. Say that with me. Performance confusion. And number two, you didn't actually say it with me though, did you? Performance confusion. And the second one is this, a possession illusion. Say that, possession illusion. You're, you're waking up, we'll be there. And so those two things, performance, confusion, possession, illusion. God says a lot about this, and it's, it's an epidemic. It's stealing identities when it has to do with what is true success today. Put it in this perspective. We open the, the scripture, and, and you see how, how there's performance Confusion. Look at this gospel reading with me from Luke chapter 12. And Jesus is there, he's teaching, and he gets pulled aside and, and gets pulled into a, an inheritance discussion and he just gets advice on that and he, he kind of rightly says, like, who am I uh, to be an arbiter bef- between you and your brother? You figure that out on your own, but Jesus reads their hearts as he does as being God in the flesh and And he comes back and he says this. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. He says, the the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry, and be an American. Ooh. Isn't that the American dream, though? I mean, it really... You hear us talk, you hear what really worries us, you hear what's on the news every night. I mean, that, that's really the goal, isn't it? For most Americans, is the work as hard as you can, do as much as you can, acquire as much as you can, and, and at a certain point in time, have it all planned out with your financial advisor so that you can retire and eat, drink, and be merry, and you have arrived. Is it ever possible that the American dream is not the dream of our God for us. I I know that's maybe an uncomfortable thing to say, might even be an unpopular thing to say, but if we ever pause today, just ask that question, is it possible the American dream is not the dream our God has for us? Because we don't have that kind of language in Scripture except in a place like this. 
And Jesus isn't holding this up as an example. That's something we want to uh, pattern our life after. In fact, we find out that very next verse, God pays a visit to this man. And he says this, God said to him, you fool, you fool. You know, there's one thing when it comes to identity that we do not want to have the label in the presence of God of being a fool. And yet, Jesus says this man does. Because he thinks life is all about, and and this gets back to what I started with. Uh, Start with this, performance confusion. A lot of times we get confused and we think that our value is based in what we do. What our occupation is, how much we accomplish in any given day, what we can say we've done, it becomes part of our portfolio, part of our message, part of our marketing strategy of ourselves of look at what I have done. And we start to think that is what defines us. I mean, think about it. You're at a party and you meet somebody for the first time and what's the first question you ask? What do you do? right? Isn't that the first question? What do you do? And and how's that spin for us? The fact is, that's what defines us in so many places. We're defined by what we do, and we get into this performance confusion. If I'm defined by what I do, therefore, I better do a lot. I better busy myself with so many things and, and just immerse myself in busyness. And you know what? It's not just in the corporate world. It's in family worlds as well. You see this playing out in families. And and the whole point is get your kids as busy as possible because after all, if what we do defines us as being valuable, as being important, as being successful, then by all means, let's do everything. Remember last spring, or really last winter into last spring, um, our family, we found ourselves in an interesting point. Um, Both my my girls play volleyball, and and we'd been hearing a lot of, you know, you got to get your kids in club volleyball. That's where it's at. You got to get your kids in club volleyball. If they're going to play volleyball in high school, they got to be in club volleyball. And so, okay, all right, all right, we'll we'll get them in club volleyball. And they tried out, and and sure enough, they made it into club volleyball. And and one of them had every night practice up in Clarkston, and the other one had every night practice down in Warren. And did you know Clarkston and Warren aren't anywhere near one another? They're like in the absolute wrong direction. And, and then, of course, all the tournaments are on the weekends, right? And, and, of course, none of the tournaments were ever in the same place. In fact, of course, one would be in Grand Rapids and the other one would be like uh, down in south, down in Ohio or something. I mean, it's like, really? And, 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 and finally, we came to this point about a month and a half into the season where, as a family, we were sitting around the dinner for the first time, around the table for the first time in like four weeks it felt like, staring at each other, looking at the circles under everyone's eyes and seeing our kids say, can we make sure we never do this again? And mom and dad saying thank you and we're sorry because it's not worth it. I always think about what Jesus says, you can gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit your soul by being busy, by doing and always being busy with so much when it defines us. Maybe you've been living there for far too long 
And it makes sense then when it comes to a God who says, be still and know that I am God. It just doesn't coincide. It just doesn't kind of, it's just something hard to grapple with. How can we slow down, be still, and get anything done then if we're defined by our busyness? The problem is we've become confused by our performance. And we've mistaken that for identity. We've mistaken that to be what forms who we truly are. When our God says that's not who you are. Not just performance confusion, but possession illusion. When we become overwhelmed and even possessed by our own possessions. Or we think it's all about having the next greatest thing. Buying the next toy. Having the right car in the garage. And living in the right house. And the right neighborhood. And the right clothes. And all the things that we're told every day. This is what defines success. Is having all of these things. And there's never enough. Is there? Let's think about it. Remember um, Some years ago, I think it was about five years ago, we did a study called When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. Remember that? Some of you have been around since then. And and just as a a way of thinking of life in in that that realm of, you know, when we work so hard and we play so hard and and we try so hard and we try to acquire all this stuff and when you play a board game, it's exciting, it's intense, but when the game's over, you just put it all back in the box and life goes on as usual. And And if we put that context to our life here, when God says your days are numbered, and and as the psalmist says, teach me to number my days aright, to have a God perspective on what really matters, uh, to have eyes that are open to what true value is and what true identity really is, and to realize that when the game in this world is over, it really does all go back in the box. I, I love this picture When's the last time you saw something like that? You know? I mean, it's ridiculous to think about, but ultimately all this stuff that we think is so important and defines us, well, the day comes where it's like, you know what? It, it really doesn't matter that much, and you never see that because it doesn't make any sense. I remember um, there's that, that show Seinfeld, and remember years ago watching an episode of that, and, and I've seen, we still watch it pretty much almost every day, um, and, and it's, the reruns are on, and I've seen every show at least 10 times to 20 times to maybe even 100 times, but every once in a while, I'll see an episode I'd never seen before, and, and I realize there's a lot of episodes of Seinfeld, and it, it was labeled the show about nothing, and, and Jerry Seinfeld, in one of the episodes, goes on a little bit of a rant when he talks about that life when it comes to just acquiring stuff, then is, is all about moving and acquiring boxes for that move. And here's what he says. He says, you know, to me, life boils down to one thing, movement. To live is to keep moving. Unfortunately, this means for, that for the rest of our lives, we're going to keep looking for boxes. When you're moving, your whole world is boxes. It's all you think about, boxes. Where are the boxes? You wander, wander down the street, in and out of stores, asking, are there any boxes here? Do you, have you seen any boxes? It's all you think about. It could be at a funeral. Everyone around you is mourning, crying, and you're looking at the casket and think, that's a nice box. Anybody know where that guy got that box? When he's done with it, do you think I could get it? It's, it's got some nice handles on it. My stereo would fit nicely right there. And I mean, that... That's what death is, the last big move of your life. The hearse is like the van, the pallbearers are your close friends, and the only people you can really ask to help with such a big move like that are your friends. 
And the casket is that great perfect box you've been looking for the whole, whole of your life. And only you no longer need boxes. Jerry Seinfeld wisdom here. Hmm. Um, which reminds me, by the way, I, I was talking about success. And um, somebody sent me recently a, a reminder, a fellow Vikings fan. He says, you know, when, I, when the Lord takes me home to heaven, I'm going to ask the Minnesota Vikings to be my pallbearers so they can let me down one last time, All right? Yeah. You know, is, is life just about boxes? Or has our God called us for a deeper purpose than being just consumed with possessions and that illusion that our value is based on stuff? God has created us for so much more. A God who has called you by name as a treasured child of God. A God who says that from all eternity I had you in mind. I formed you. I made you. I created you. You are mine. A God who says you matter to me. And as my treasured child, though you have doubted, though you have sinned, though you have strayed, I have come into this world. And guess what? I value you as my treasured possession. Many verses in the scripture that remind us of that where God says to his people, you are my treasured possession. And when you realize the one who values us enough to give his life for us and the currency he uses is not gold or silver but his blood, the ultimate cost so that we might know life and forgiveness and grace and that we might know our life matters and has value and purpose and our identity then is found in him. How will he not provide all that we need? How will he not remind us day by day as we spend time slowing down, being present in his word, to hear him speak of those reminders that we are loved and his grace fills our lives. And he is a God who is there to meet our every need. I love what Paul says about this. And my God will provide for you all that you need according to the riches of his grace. It's the kind of God we have lest we think our identity comes from anywhere else. I want to show you another picture here. Anybody know, know who this is? Last night at Saturday night service, there was a, a first grader. He raised his hand and he shouted it out. He says, well, that's Zach Ertz. And I said, that's impressive. Zach Ertz is, is who this is. He is a tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's going to be playing this afternoon. And uh, I saw an interview with him and some of the other Eagles players this week. And uh, in that interview, he talked about how his pursuit of success uh, often would lead to just being overly overwhelmed by life. And uh, being a football player, he, his, his mood and his joy for life would be determined whether or not he won or lost on any given weekend. But what he noticed in the locker room is there were a lot of players that just seemed to be even through winning or through losing. It, it was clear that is not what defined them. And he started asking questions. He always knew about Jesus, but he didn't have a relationship or a faith in Jesus. And through the witness of some of his teammates, uh, Zach was baptized some years ago, and it transformed his life. It transformed his marriage. It transformed every way that he looked at life and, and his, his sport, his his occupation, as it were, and what true success really is. And, and this is what he quoted uh, this past week. He said this when it has to do with the, the Super Bowl this, this weekend. He says it's huge. Our number one goal on this earth is, what would you expect? Football. No, that's not what he says. Our number one goal on earth is to make disciples of Jesus. 
So faith in, in the sport of football this Sunday is huge, he said. It's a platform that we have to draw people to the word, to Jesus. It's something we don't take for granted by any means. It's obviously a responsibility, but we love it. We want to draw people to Christ. Let's be watching for more of that witness today of what true success really looks like when we realize who we are and what our calling really is. It's in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for identity. And we, we ask your forgiveness for all the times that we have given in to uh, the performance confusion of thinking we are defined by being busy in what we do. We ask your forgiveness for all the times we've given in to the possession illusion as well, thinking we are defined by the, the amount of stuff we have and its value. Lord, our true identity is found in the riches of your grace that defines us and redefines us today and gives us a purpose that goes beyond the stuff of this world and the accolades of this world and the titles of this world. It, it's all about you, and it's all about the life that you've given us, giving you the glory and giving you the praise and giving you the honor as the one who has called us and given us true identity that is eternal. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.